This is TSFPN.com, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network. You found the best podcast in the universe. It's Thursday, September 29th, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to the fifth special edition of The Secrets. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, the guy who's procrastinating on figuring out the changes to the regular show format, which is why you're getting all these special editions. I'm enjoying doing these longer essays anyway, so I may stick with it for a while. When not doing these essays, however, I'm a professional writer with 38 books to my credit. I also work with the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com, where there are discussion forums for this shows and everything else we've got on our grid. The TSFPN forums actually alerted me to something that triggered this special edition. NaNoWriMo, or the National Novel Writing Month Project, is coming up in November. You can find it at www.nanowrimo.org. Starting on November 1st and running through the 30th, the goal of all the participants is to write a 50,000-word-long novel. A number of folks have been discussing the project in the forums for Murr Lafferty's show, I Should Be Writing, which is something you'll all want to be listening to, and they said that they're going to go ahead and join the project. So I thought I'd do this as something for them, as something for you, and alert you to this, so maybe you'll want to play. So this podcast is all going to be about writing fast. But I do have to say, I won't be joining NaNoWriMo for a variety of reasons. First off, it's really not something for professionals like me. I mean, we already know the pressures of writing quickly. Second, they only want a 50,000-word novel, and that's a little light on the publishing side. Uh, If you're doing anything under 80,000 words, 90,000 words, chances are people don't want to look at it. So it's a little light. And third, and and far more importantly, I actually have a novel to write during the month of November, so I'll be out there doing this all by myself anyway. All that being said, however, I do think the project is a great one, and I encourage anyone listening to this podcast to check it out. You've got a month for prep work, so you can sit down and try out writing. It's a good challenge, and you'll have a lot of support if you do it. I know that were I wondering if I could ever write a novel, I'd be signing on to do this project big time. The simple fact of the matter is that you can write a novel. I'm firmly convinced of it. I think everyone has at least one book in them, and maybe more. The first book is there, however, and I think you owe it to yourself to get it down on paper. What follows will be a discussion of points that I've learned while writing fast. Just think of me as your coach for this project. Part 1. Planning. Planning your project is something you absolutely must do. This doesn't mean that dreaded word, outlining though things will go better if you work from an outline. What it means is gathering the necessary parts and planning a strategy to bring them all together. The first dawning point is probably word count. I remember when I was looking at doing my first novel, Italian Revenant. I knew that it had to be at least 100,000 words long. That almost killed me. And then I said to myself, well, you've never written 100,000 words, but you have written short stories 5,000 words long. So I sat down and decided to break the book into 20 chapters that were 5,000 words in length each. For you, the project is even easier. You'll be doing 20 chapters, 2,500 words long. 
One of the things I learned from my first Battletech editor, Donna Ippolito, was that the shorter chapters are better. A 2,500-word chapter works out to roughly 10 pages of manuscript. It's short enough for readers to continue reading to the end, and if you end that chapter with a cliffhanger, they just start reading the next chapter, and so on and so on. The next thing you need to realize is that books are more about characters than they are about plots. A novel that runs 100,000 words or so has room for three main characters. They're the characters who have a story arc and undergo a change because of the events in the story. Each character really needs about 30,000 words to develop and to change. Since you're only writing 50,000 words, you're looking at a single character story arc. If you want to push it, you might be able to fit two characters in there, but you're likely to give one of them short shrift. Concentrate on one main character and let a secondary character undergo some change. I'll go a bit more into characters in a moment, but the word count thing needs one more detail attended to. Novels break down rather simply for me. The first quarter is where you introduce the world, the characters, and the conflict. It gets things moving. The middle half of the novel is where the conflict intensifies and the characters move forward. Clearly, they need to change to deal with the conflict or to be destroyed by it. The last quarter, then, is where you bring everything together, solve the conflict, show the change to the characters, and you get out. So there's your rough structure. Five chapters in, ten to develop, five out. If you start sketching the novel out with 20 chapters as your target, and you break them into those pieces, you'll have the start of what you want to do. Of course, you'll be able to add, subtract, and rearrange chapters, but this is the basic format for your roadmap. Part 2. Characters and Conflict The meat of the novel will be made up through the development of characters in relation to the conflict that frames the novel. It's tough to go over this stuff without using an example, so let me pluck one at random from the headlines. Okay, here we go. We have a powerful senator with presidential aspirations who's being called upon to act ethically on a variety of issues. At the same time, he finds out that his stock portfolio, which is supposed to be in a blind trust, has stock of a particular corporation in it. Shortly thereafter, he learns that the corporation is going to have a disappointing quarter and the stock price will plummet, costing him millions of dollars. What should he do? The conflicts here are pretty clear, and by conflicts I'm referring to what other folks describe as plots or stories. They generally do that when they're saying there are only five plots in the world. You've all heard them say that, and I've discussed this point in both The Secrets Podcast and in The Secrets Newsletter. You already know this podcast is the audio adjunct to that newsletter, which you can read more about at www.stormwolf.com. There are three conflicts for this story. The first is man versus self. Our senator is going to have to balance his sense of honor with his greed. Which way will he go? Will he be honorable and lose money? Or will he grab the money and arrogantly assume that he will escape justice for insider trading? The second conflict is man versus man, and it comes in a variety of guises. One aspect of it could be him battling against another senator over, say, ways to pay for hurricane relief. Or he's switching his view on stem cell research, which puts him in conflict with the sitting president. It could also manifest as a conflict between him and a member of his family who wants and needs the money. Let's say he has a wastrel son who's run up debts and threatens to make a public spectacle of himself, destroying his father's chances to being president if his father doesn't cover his debts. The third conflict is man versus society. Here we could have special interest groups pressuring the senator to vote and act in a method that is unethical on a variety of issues. Let's stick with stem cell research for a moment and assume the senator is going to be in favor of it. 
a religiously conservative enemy could be lambasting him and threaten to destroy him. Now we get down to a lot of the fun stuff. We're going to close up some of the gaps in the conflicts, and you'll see that the story will evolve as we do this. With stem cell research as the key issue, we can tighten things up a bit. We make the corporation one that will be a big beneficiary of stem cell research. If the senator comes out in favor of it, the stock price will soar. He could feel the only ethical choice he has is to sell it before he announces his decision. It could even be that he makes the sale specifically for that reason, and his political enemies engineer the disaster at the company to make it look as if he were insider trading. On a second angle, we can take the family member who needs money and create a conflict enhancement. Let's say the person is a son who's gay but closeted. He wants the money to finance a clinic that treats children born with AIDS. Let's further assume that the religious group learns about the son's status and threatens to do a story on him in their religious broadcasting station. But they'll kill that story if the senator plays ball. The son, who is a doctor, just like the senator, is in favor of stem cell research and is pressuring dad to support it, even at his being outed and his life being disrupted. Okay, let's stop for a second because as you can see, that sort of snowballing of the plot can go on forever. What's important to note is that what we have is a trio of characters. The senator is the central character and he has pressure coming from two sides. There's also a conflict between the son and the religious broadcaster. If this book were to be a full novel, all three of the characters would be fully explored. Each would have chapters from his point of view and supporting characters who would also get some of the development as things went along. Because this will be a short novel, we'll focus on the senator and his dilemma. Does he do what's best for folks right now? Or does he wait and hope that he can be elected president where he'll be able to do more? Does he give in to blackmail and facilitate that goal and alienate his only child? Um, yes, you, you've noticed we move away from the whole greed thing at the moment. The reason for this is quite simple. Base greed works just fine, but doesn't really put one in much emotional anguish. The way things have evolved, our senator has to choose between his ambition and losing his family. He has to choose between losing his honor or doing the right thing and being discarded from further use. These are critical decisions that will change his life and the lives of many others. This raises the level of pressure and makes for a much better story. You've also noticed that we could easily shift our tale to be about the son or the evangelist. We could have the evangelist be good, the senator a pawn, and the son could be the CEO of the corporation, pressuring his father to act in one way or another. What's key is that we find a conflict and then find characters to put pressure on our protagonist. For our immediate purposes then, the plot gets summarized like this. A senator is torn between ambition and his family. Political enemies are blackmailing him to oppose stem cell research, promising they'll support him for president in return. His family wants him to support stem cell research, and the family will fall apart if he doesn't. The political enemies have no scruples, and everyone is fair game in their plot to kill stem cell research. Now to the characters themselves. We've clearly got three characters to worry about, the senator, the evangelist, and the senator's son. You want to create a profile for each of them, including physical descriptions. Some writers go through magazines and clip out pictures to use as reference. I do that from time to time, but usually reduce it to a set of numbers, you know, height, weight, all that sort of stuff. Each character profile will run about a page. It'll include things that I need to know about the characters, facts, and usually has a paragraph that speaks to how they feel about the core issue. I look at things they would want to change about themselves and include that as well. 
In this case, however, that point is only critical when it comes to the Senator, since he's the one who'll be changing. The other two characters can become abstractions of good and evil, with their motivations being shallow but direct. If the story was longer, they would be more complex and would change too. One thing that's very important to remember about the character profile, nothing is written in stone. You can change this stuff as often as you want. I've had a situation where I started writing a book and then went back to read the profile I'd written for one of the characters. His personality had shifted 180 degrees. It made for a much better story and I'd made the switch because that was what felt right. Don't sweat keeping the characters locked tight to the profile if the way they develop in the story makes for something more exciting. You'll also want to leave out extraneous detail. If, for example, you decide the evangelist was a recovering alcoholic, but his alcoholism plays no part in the story, you never have to bring it up. Ditto the son's sexual orientation. If it doesn't play a part in the story, don't bring it in. You want to keep this clean and not confusing. Once the characters are good to go, we'll hop back to the chapter setup and just begin to fill things in. We'll tackle that in just a moment, but first I want to point out that there are plenty of examples you can use for plots. Some of the best are, well, first off, any Shakespeare play. Shakespeare has been updated and mutated more times than anyone can count. Follow serial numbers off, redraw the conflicts in appropriate terms, and you're off and running. And let's face it, Shakespeare stole from earlier stories, so this is no big deal. Second, the standard Western plot. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy fights through enemies to get girl back. This plot has worked for a lot of folks, from Edgar Rice Burroughs to Louis L'Amour, and can work for you too. Three, the quest. The world is in trouble, and only one character, um, aided by his trusty friends, can find or destroy the magic doohickey that will bring the evil bad guy down. Mind you, this works for a fantasy novel, but is also the core between things like uh, CSI and John Grisham novels like The Firm. Those are all quest stories, so you can set them anywhere you want to. Once you've picked your plot, defined your conflicts, and developed your characters, you're ready to assemble your roadmap, or, dare I suggest it, your outline. Please remember that we have that 5 chapter setup to deal with. In the first five chapters, we have to introduce the characters, show them interacting with each other, introduce the core problem, and hint at the fact that we're heading toward a collision of sorts. It's fairly obvious that in the start of the novel, our senator hasn't made up his mind about stem cell research. This gives us cover to learn more about it and for us to begin to see how his thinking is developing on the matter. In the middle ten chapters, we have to see the senator point himself toward a decision, then turn back from it. We'll also need to further develop his desire to be president. We can see his confidence ebb and flow as he sees his chances rise and fall. We could even have the evangelist conduct a poll on whether or not folks would vote for a presidential candidate who supports stem cell research, an overt reflection of a covert threat. In addition, we'll need to see the whole blackmail line developing, so we'll see the gathering of evidence against the sun and so forth. Then we come down to the last five chapters. Clearly, the announcement of the decision is going to be the climactic point. We have to see the pressure mount, and we need to see a reason why the senator makes his final decision. We could even go so far as to his capitulating to the blackmail, being handed a speech crafted by the evangelist, then going into the press conference, chucking it away, and speaking from his heart. Now, granted, Writing that sort of story, one that's all politics and emotions, isn't as easy as one where you can end the torment by thrusting a sword through your enemy's entrails. 
but it does still work pretty well. Whatever you choose to do for a story, keeping to this rough format will keep you on target and bring the story home. Two points are vital to mention here. First, you can vary wildly from the format I've presented and do just fine. More power to you if you're well enough developed a writer to dance on the high wire without a net. Part of the reason I use this format is because I'm not the guy on the high wire without a net. My readers are. I don't want them to go splat because if they do, my career goes splat right alongside of them. When I'm writing novels, this format does get modified. And this brings me to my second point. The modification takes place through the process of writing. If you'll note above, I said we need to see the Senator's presidential ambitions being developed. I immediately knew we'd need an aide who handles that for him. All of a sudden we have a fourth character to play with. She could be an agent for the evangelist, a friend of the son, someone who wants to be the Senator's next wife or his mistress, or someone who believes in him and expects the best from him. She could be all of these things. Suddenly, however, she's injected into the story, so we have to develop her a little bit, and the story outline will change to do so. As I've said before, an outline is to a novel what a map is to a road trip. You may never get to your plotted end. We might end the novel here with the senator stepping up to the podium to address the press and cut it right there. We leave the decision about what he's going to say to the reader. Or we turn it into a Schwarzenegger film and he pulls out an Uzi to hold down the evangelist who is really fronting for a devil worship cult that kidnaps and sacrifices blue-eyed blonde-haired waifs. You have to let the story grow into what it wants to be. If this shifts to a father-son reconciliation story, great. If it becomes a political thriller, super. If it becomes a murder mystery, that's cool too. It really doesn't matter what it becomes as long as it gets written. A couple of quick cautions. If the story stops and you just can't go any further, it's not because of writer's block. It's because you don't know the characters well enough. Stop writing. Step back and interview your characters about the events of the story and their lives. Use celebrity interviews from People and Us Magazine to formulate questions. Once you get those answers, you'll know your characters better. From there, you can go back to the story, figure out why things stopped, cut a few pages, and plow on ahead. That having been said, Whatever you do, do not edit the book as you're going along. If you decide, as we did above, that we need an aide to address the presidential thing, but we only realize this in Chapter 7, we start writing Chapter 7 as if she had existed throughout the book. Do not go back and make changes. Just save all that for editing later. Your goal is to finish, and revising isn't going to get you any closer to that goal. Be like a shark. Keep moving forward, or you're going to die. Just pump the words out and keep going. Part 3. Practicalities I've written a lot of novels. As I recall, only one of them has been less than 100,000 words. Most are well above it, and one broke 200,000 words. My agents once told me that my editor had assured her that he would find a place to cut words out of one of my longer novels. I came in about 40,000 words over the target. I sent him an email that read, As concerns cutting my text, use a smaller typeface. He did. These books have all been written on a deadline, and often a short one. As I noted early on, I've done several in the same time frame as NaNoWriMo, and at triple the length. This leads me to talk to you about some practical considerations for your quest. The workload you're about to undertake is 10 pages a day for 20 days, roughly speaking. Every word you get down is one word close to your goal, so give yourself a minimum of an hour a day to put words on paper. 
Understand, however, that there will be some days when nothing comes. That's perfectly okay. In fact, I'd suggest that you build in at least one day off per week during the month. On that day, you're going to do no work on the book. Zero. Zip. Okay. If you feel compelled, fine, jump in, but take the next day off, or the next, or the next, you know how it goes. You will need downtime, there's no doubt about it, so avail yourself of it. Moreover, celebrate it. Write six days, then go out to dinner or do something fun. As physicist Richard Feynman reported his son saying, you need time to refill your word bag. Once it's refilled, you're right back up on that horse and you're generating more pages. For me, I'd be showing no one the pages as I work. All you need is someone trying to be helpful to make a comment and you have that rattling around in your brain. Oh, I love this character. And you know you're going to kill him later on and then you think, well, maybe I won't. Don't do that. You can let folks know how you're doing. Keep a notebook or journal to record how you feel about the stuff. But really, don't let folks read it or certainly don't have them tell you about it. I always use a notebook when I'm writing for jotting down details, making maps, and jotting down random thoughts. Others use a file on the computer. The reason I like the notebook is that I can haul it with me and jot down notes as needed, wherever I am. A lot of my best insights happen when I'm away from the computer, and jotting them down works perfectly. It's also a place to paste pictures and write down the phone number for the pizza delivery place up the street. Drugs. No, I'm not getting Hunter S. Thompson on you. When I work fast, and I'll generate 5,000 or more words in a day, my hands physically hurt. You want to check with your doctor, but I find that taking an anti-inflammatory drug at night and in the morning stops my hands from hurting. Likewise, you want to get out and get some exercise. Just take a walk. Not only is it good for you, but it's a way to clear the mind. I often walk along, running dialogue in my head, so I'm set to type it out when I get back to writing. Finally. Whether you hit the 50,000 words, miss it, or exceed it, do something nice for yourself. Buy yourself a present. Buy your significant other a present. Go out to dinner. Reward yourself. Just by participating in the project, you've done something most folks want to do, but will never do. You'll be a novelist. It's a rare thing and a very good thing. Congratulations. This is Michael A. Stackpole. You can find my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. There you'll be able to learn more about the secrets, my writing newsletter. Full information about subscribing is available, as well as a couple of sample issues for you to download. I do have a special hurricane relief subscription package available, so check it out. You'll become a better writer, and you'll be helping a lot of folks who someday will turn around and buy something you've written. Please come over to tsfpn.com and visit our discussion forums. You can talk about this show or any other there. You'll also want to check out the forums for Murr Lafferty's I Should Be Writing. There's a lively group there, and they even have a workshop forum set up. So if you're looking for a sharp bunch of writers to hang with, you'll find them there. This podcast is copyright 2005 by Michael A. Stackpole. I'll be talking with you again in about a week or so. Good luck with your writing.